0: I'm Cassidy and welcome to the first episode of the second series of Made at UCL, the podcast. This podcast is for anyone who has ever wondered why what goes on at universities matter. From academia to community outreach, we want to give you insight into why researchers and volunteers at UCL are so passionate about what they do and how what they do helps to make this world a better place. Each episode includes three stories with one common theme, and today's theme is touch touch is a
1: very powerful form of communication touch is very important for how we bond with people i think staying in touch can
2: be very simple and sometimes touch
1: is the
3: physical interaction with the environment and the information that you would receive. The first sense
4: through physical. which we understand the world when we're born and then it's the last and So we
1: find around. out information about the world through touch, the ways so we touch we objects. or we grasp
3: items. We want to experience how much we exert to an object because we don't want to squeeze it.
4: There's so much research that's very, very clearly shown that it's, it's really important for our well-being and development.
0: This month's episode is all about touch, from touching to not touching to how we stay in touch right now. Over the past year, touch has become something we probably all think about a little more than we ever had before. I know I'm grateful for things that help us to stay in touch, like Zoom, where we can still meet people face to face in a way. But like all of us, I'm sure, I miss certain kinds of touch like a nice warm hug from a friend or even all those little sensations of touch like when you're on a crowded dance floor and dancing up close to someone you fancy. All of our guests this month are working in areas related to touch, specifically digital touch, keeping in touch, and the sensation of touch. To begin our journey into touch, I sat down with Lily and her PhD supervisor, Professor Carrie Jewett from the InTouch projects at UCL. InTouch is...
4: The five-year project exploring emerging digital touch technologies across lots of different realms.
1: This research is part of... The UCL Knowledge Lab, which is in the Department of Culture, Communication and Media and the faculty of the Institute of Education.
0: Lily and Carrie don't just study any kind of touch. Their work, especially
1: recently, has focused on digital touch. Digital touch is touch that's been remediated through technology. So our project isn't looking at touch screens. We're looking at advanced technologies like robotics, virtual reality, augmented reality, biosensing, and wearable technologies. And we're asking how touch is getting brought into those advanced technological landscapes in the context of communication. The first problem that
0: Lily and Carrie had to solve through their research was how to even study touch.
1: Some of the worst interviews I've ever done in my research career have been trying to ask people about touch.
0: It sounds kind of simple asking people about their experiences
1: of touch. We did a study in the Natural History Museum in one of their galleries that has touch objects, me and my colleague, Sarah Price. People were exploring these objects and making lots of kind of connections with memories and lots of imagination.
0: But even though we all use our sense of touch every day, it's one of those things we rarely have to stop and think about then people would come
1: out of the gallery and we'd do an interview with them and say you know we saw how you were touching this particular object and what did that mean to you it's certainly something that
0: we rarely have to describe or explain to someone
1: people just couldn't talk about it they didn't have the language of description to talk about it but they also didn't really think about it when they were doing it and that's because touch is complicated So there's these different kinds of layers of touch and there's touch with objects, there's touch with others, there's touch with yourself and there's touch with the environment. When we walk along the beach without our shoes on and we feel the warmth of the sand or you feel the the water on you or you feel the wind on you or, or the rain, we can think about those things as touch as well.
0: To address this problem of people being unable to talk about touch, Lily began a project called Touchy Vocab.
4: Yeah, so the Touchy Vocab, it's a vocabulary that's formatted so that it can be printed as a, a series of sticky labels. But it's divided into two parts. On the one hand, you've got types of touch and tactile interactions. So some examples might be elbow, hug, poke. (laughs) And then on the other hand, you've got words that describe tactile qualities. And some examples might be there, coarse, glassy, frothy, earthy,
0: things like that. Of course, understanding our relationship to touch is always going to involve asking research participants to touch something. (laughs) Pre-pandemic physical workshops included lots of different
4: materials for participants to touch and make associations, think about their experiences.
0: But how was Lili able to continue her research after touching was no longer an option?
4: I no longer was able to be in the same room as participants using these shared resources that I'd made. So these tactile resources that they could touch and feel and the touchy vocab labels that they could easily peel off and map and all of this. Lily, like so many of us,
0: had to switch to working remotely.
4: I'd been planning to use kits that you give to people with different kinds of materials and tasks for them to do. And especially at the start of the pandemic, when we weren't really sure how the virus was transferred, it would have been really unethical to send out packs, you know, for me to go to the post office and send things to people and possibly give them the virus. So I had to put everything online. I reshaped my ideas of what these creative tasks were kind of going to be.
0: Despite a lot of additional work, The remote setup did come with added benefits.
4: Participants, because they were based in their homes, they were referencing and using materials and objects from their world and that had real meaning for them. And in a way, that was better. It created results that could not have been made in a lab. So I had one woman who really thought about touch and the comfort touch gave her through the materials that had played a role consistently across her life she included things like a cutting of her dad's coat and things like from her house that reminded her of her aunt all these very very personal things that I could not have provided were were integrated into people's into people's maps
0: the work that Lili and Carrie are doing to understand touch and our relationship with it is helping to guide future technologies that might help us stay in touch.
1: We ran a series of design workshops where we worked with colleagues from the Royal College of Art and from the UCL Institute of Making to explore people's imaginations of how digital technologies could be used in the future around supporting touch we had people who were expert in linguistics and language and communication people in human computer interaction and also people from information design and experience design and they first kind of explored how they thought about communication and their experience of how they'd used phones or skype or different kinds of video chats and then they thought about how touch could come into that kind of communicational domain. One of the groups made something called a haptic chair. And the idea was that you'd sit in this chair and you just like can enjoy sitting there or that kind of sense of being together in a non-verbal way. And and it is a sense of kind of being touched by them or held by them.
0: Even though I consider myself to be a pretty sensitive person to touch, I think if like in Carrie's research in the beginning, someone asked me to tell them what touching an object was like, I would struggle with that as well. I think it's because we don't register touch sensations unless they are really good or particularly bad. In Lily's project, it makes sense that people would do better with the touchy vocab project at home. Because at home, we typically feel more comfortable expressing a negative experience. And because our homes are filled with items that we have these strong, positive touch sensations with, either because we just like the way they feel, like a fluffy scarf or a fleece blanket, or the touch of them is reminiscent of someone we care about, like in Lily's participant's case, with the texture of her father's coat, or for me, the cold silver on my wrist of my grandmother's watch. Perhaps touching and interacting with the things in our home that bring us joy is a good way to comfort ourselves at this time, before the invention of the haptic chair. So from touching to not touching, how do we stay in touch in a global pandemic? I spoke to Alicia, a second-year natural science student who is volunteering as a Spanish teacher for Age UK a charity that provides support and community for older people in the UK.
2: I started volunteering during quarantine when the pandemic first hit, and I was searching for something to do at home, and there were these newsletters from the university, and when I saw the position of Spanish teacher, I just jumped right in.
0: There's a particular reason why this position appealed to Alyssa.
2: I grew up in Spain, and we lived in Brussels, Belgium, for about five years. So I haven't used my Spanish a lot in the past couple of years. And I just jumped to the opportunity to practice my Spanish again and put that in good use. So my parents are from China, so I'm Chinese, I have the Chinese nationality, but I was actually born in Italy and then we spent a couple of months in China and then we moved to Spain, then to Belgium, and then last year I went to the UK for a university.
0: All that moving around growing up helped her to learn an impressive number of languages.
2: Around six, although some languages better than others.
0: (laughs) Did you find it difficult to pick up each language? Or do you find learning new languages got easier over time?
2: It definitely got easier over time, but I think it made me very shy because I didn't talk much with my uh, schoolmates. At first, I think it was because I didn't understand them well and I couldn't say the things I wanted. But then when the move came more often, I would just say to myself, okay, this is going to happen again, so you have to take the chance to meet these people and at least talk to them.
0: Alyssa doesn't seem to be as shy anymore. But those feelings of shyness she had growing up have given her an understanding of how to handle some of the quieter students.
2: I think every lesson, every session requires the teachers to just put lots of energy, to bring lots of energy in the room to try to calm the most energetic ones and try to bring the more calm students to the discussion too.
0: Do you feel like teaching is something that came naturally to you?
2: I think it came quite naturally because I had some previous experience with teaching, but not Spanish. But yeah, since I can speak it fluently, it was nice to invite the students into the Spanish culture and Spanish language. I think it was very fun for me to do. So what does a typical lesson look like? Lessons were carried out by two volunteers, so I was working with another volunteer called Antonio. Usually at the start, we would all greet each other in Spanish, but that was sometimes difficult, so they would just spontaneously jump to English, and it was very informal. People would just say what they did on the day or how the weather made their moods sink or be happier because there was the sun on that particular day. And then for the first half of the lesson, we would introduce some vocabularies or some grammar. And then we would split into breakout rooms. And then we would do some exercises that we heard in advance. And then we would try to make each student have just a couple of minutes to speak and practice. And then we would go back to the main room all together and share some thought or just greet each other goodbye until the next lesson.
0: Did you have any issues? Like I know with my parents, when they try to use Zoom or any other type of technology thing, they tend to have trouble with it. Did the seniors seem to do pretty well
2: with technology?
0: Or did you have trouble at the beginning at all?
2: Most of them managed okay. I think the organization also provided some Zoom workshops just to know the basics and how to use it for their lessons during a lockdown. But sometimes we would have problems, like problems hearing someone or someone who didn't know how to turn their microphone on or their video on. And then, for example, a lady that had this problem, at the end got to uh, turn on uh, her mic, but then she was shouting at it, (laughs) and we were were (laughs) all, oh, surprised to the sudden voice.
0: Despite the occasional funny little mishaps, Alicia seems to have really enjoyed her time volunteering.
2: I think volunteering can always surprise you and you would always find something very refreshing and you would definitely learn something new while training yourself with some skills that can be useful for either your professional life or just in life. And I think the part where you get to meet new people that you wouldn't meet otherwise, it's very enriching as well.
0: Alicia's unique experience growing up, eagerness to help, and desire to hold on to language of her past self, led her to what seems to be a fun and entertaining way to contribute to the enrichment of UK senior citizens. In a time of such isolation, having a sense of community can feel impossible. But Alicia's volunteer work proves that being part of a community is just a click away. If you would like to keep in touch with older people by volunteering to teach languages like Alicia, or find out about some of the other amazing ways that UCL students are helping the community, you can find out more by visiting studentsunionucl.org forward slash volunteering. For the last part of our journey into touch today, I wanted to find out about how touch can be recreated after it has been lost. And so I found a researcher at UCL who is doing just that.
3: Good morning, I'm Helga Wiedemann. I'm Associate Professor of Robotics, working in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at UCL.
0: Helga's research was recently the most highly voted breakthrough research story at Made at UCL. And we were so pleased to have him as our guest. He and his team in the Soft Haptics and Robotics Lab are designing and building prosthetic robots equipped with a sense of touch.
3: In my lab, we are looking into building new robotic devices. So we are understanding the sense of touch and we making the human feel what the robot can feel. So, For example, if you suffer from an amputation and you lost your entire hand, you don't have any sensation anymore in your hand. So we're looking into building prosthesis that have sensors that can understand physical interaction with the environment and feed it back to the human on other parts of the human that are still having the sense of touch.
0: Prosthetic limbs that can feel and transmit touch sensations to their owners are a relatively new technology and they are not yet widely accessible making prosthetics which are affordable and simple to build and have touch capabilities is a difficult task.
3: On the one side, you have aesthetic prostheses. They are literally looking like the human part of your hand. They are made out of rubber or silicon material. They have the same skin color, so they are simulating your body part. And they are very reasonably low cost. And then on the other side, we have robotic or myoelectronic prostheses. They have actuators or so motors in the hand, driving the fingers, for instance. If you want to pick something up, they take signals from the muscle activities of the remaining stump to then open and close. Most of the myoelectronic prostheses are in research states. They're also available for patients, but they're very, very expensive. I would argue that the NHS would not pay for a myoelectronic prosthesis for any amputee in the UK. They have to go through raising the money themselves and paying for this device themselves.
0: To solve this problem, his colleagues are working on a third type of prosthetic device.
3: They are called body-powered prosthetic devices. These prosthetic devices, they are not robotic. They use remaining movement of the body. So for instance, if you lost your partial hand and you have still the functional wrist, they use this movement of the wrist to then make the hand grasp, for instance.
0: The challenge was to bring the sense of touch to body-powered prosthetic devices, something that had never been done before. But through working with two patients at the University Hospitals in Coventry, it seems they found a way.
3: The fingertip of our prosthesis is made out of a rubber light membrane. And inside the fingertip, there's a cavity that is filled with water So when you press onto the rubber membrane, there will be pressure building up inside the system. And this pressure is then acting on another membrane, which can be fitted to your forearm. And the membrane will then balloon a little bit and give you the feedback from whatever interaction you have at the fingertip.
0: The team never would have figured this out if it were not for the feedback from these two patients. In fact, feedback from users is a vital part of every design process and just so happens to be the favorite part.
3: One thing that I very much enjoy is when a prototype leaves the lab environment. And the reason why it is very important and very enjoyable for me is that first of all, you see in the eyes of the people who test these things that they either enjoy this device or they don't enjoy it. You have the real feedback. It's not the scientific feedback from a journal publication or a proposal review it's actually does this device matter to the person does it help this person what are they thinking who we as an engineer designed it for and that can be extremely motivational but if it's not creating the feedback that i hoped uh, for it can be very demotivational but usually the people that we engage with in our tests are very Encourage and they understand that it's early research. In most cases, they actually ask, Can we take it home? Because they want to do further testing with it at home, how they can use it on a daily basis, etc. And also give feedback. And so, this is a very modern word, it's very much in fashion this word co creation, where you invite actually end users to help you design a device. And I think that is extremely important because we as engineers I feel sitting sometimes in our lab and designing devices that we think could help but if we in the first instance ask the people that we want to help and design a device for and ask them how should the device look like what should it give you as a functionality what do you have in your mind what do you envision I think that accelerates the road to developing a successful output.
0: The concept of a body-powered, touch-sensitive prosthetic is absolutely amazing to me, because just creating an electronic one sounds like an impossible task. Also, just think about the world of possibilities that open up when something like that is accessible. People could actually afford it, and they wouldn't have to worry about some electronic malfunction or having to be extremely cautious with this expensive prosthetic device they have, and instead get real use out of it. And what a gift that is. Thank you for listening to Made at UCL, the podcast. To listen to previous episodes or find out more about life at UCL, subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. This episode was presented by me, Cassidy Martin, and produced by Karis Bradley. It featured music from the Blue Dot Sessions and additional sounds from zapsplat.com. Special thanks to our guests today, Harry, Lily, Alyssa, and Helga for sharing their time and experience. This podcast is brought to you by UCL Minds, bringing together UCL knowledge, insight, and expertise through events, digital content, and activities that are open to everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed interviewing our guests this month. Thanks again for stopping by. Take care and let's keep in touch.